My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Allow your eyes to relax, sit back, and assign your mind to a new paradigm, a figment in the imaginal landscape of time. Thoughts unwind into words, then letters, symbols, and lastly, patterns unrestrained by culture sink to the baseline as the baseline grooves steadily onward into the next harmonic convergence. Here to guide us in this journey outside the box of human perception is the Gypsy King himself, reality surfing his way past the latest false paradigm and crashing gracefully ashore on the island of the now. Michael Wan joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast to discuss his paradigm-shifting vision and so much more. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast and enjoy this conversation with Michael Wan. This fellowship of the board using the starboard to practice natural astrology, which is astrology with with an appreciation of mystery and really understanding like through observation what's happening in the sky, but holding like, like a, a sense of awe and wonder in the mystery. The and to, to do this in a collection of people, it's because that is the most that is the, the most objective reality which I can see can be experienced, which links all of us, you know, whoever's doing this together. We can all see the same phenomenon in the sky. We can understand it on the same way without any interpretation, no, and hold it in a state of uncertainty and without needing to name it. That is the present moment.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast, and this is a very, 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 very special episode. I have my girlfriend Tara sitting side by side here, helping co-host this one. We've got Mike Wan here with us back again on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. For folks who maybe under a rock or just haven't tuned in yet, we have a podcast that we do on a regular basis titled Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. You can find it on Michael Wan's podcast feed, which is titled Susquehanna Alchemy. His YouTube channel also goes by the same name, and you can follow him on Instagram. Just search Susquehanna Alchemy. But here we are, Mike. It, it's, it's, a, it's an odd feeling to to have you on the show because I'm I'm used to interviewing people for the most part that I've only just met. So this is going to be a walk in the park, so to speak, and maybe a, a walk down memory lane uh, a little bit because over the past uh, year, almost exactly a year, right, uh, some interesting things have gone down. About a year ago, Tara and I joined you in Pennsylvania um, at a meeting of the minds, uh, something that you were, you know, certainly uh, not prepared for, but very pre- prepared for in another sense. And uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe we ought to start there for people who, who aren't aware of what's gone down since. And, and yeah, you know, light strokes, because like I said, we've talked about this on your handbook for the apocalypse. So people go and catch up, sign up for that subscribe wherever you listen to this but uh mike welcome to the show how are you today <laughs> mark tara it is very good to be here and and mark before we go before we go into what you just said i believe mine and your first meeting was on this platform correct on my family thinks I'm crazy podcast yes, it was. yeah and when was that? What year even was that? Was that 2020? Was that 2021? I believe that was 2021. And I can go back to the exact episode. It was episode 25. And it was March 24th, 2021. So it's a, it's been March about 24th. two years now. What episode number is this? This would be episode 260-something. 267, 60-something. Let's say 65 to make the math easy. Okay. Because you might as well make it easy. So what's 25 less 265? That's going to be 240. So 240 episodes have transpired since the last time we've met, or since we've met on this platform at least, correct? Yeah, we've had, um, I think we've had um, almost 40 or 50 podcasts since then, but just not on this platform. Yeah. Not on this one, but this one is different because I think you, you can't help but show up a little bit differently. I mean, mm. I'm saying that for you is because you know, th- this is your flagship uh, um, podcast. And so one it's, um, you know, it, I look at this conversation, which you and I are having differently than the conversation we normally have on my podcast or the podcast, which is more associated to me, though you are 50% of every one of those episodes. Um, because now I'm like, you know, it's like I'm at your house. I'm in your house. So I'm excited mm-hmm. for that. But we got Tara here with us. So uh, a lot has transpired. Like um, the world has changed. I know my personal life has changed. And... 
obviously mm-hmm. your your audience has changed in this in this time period as well. So I'm excited to kind of get all of those things synced up for, you know, what might be another 100, 240 episodes before we speak here again. <laughs> yeah, geez, it feels like in those terms we're moving at a quick pace. But, yeah, I, I was in my father's house when we first spoke, podcasting from a desk that had been in my room for probably 15 years. And, yeah, I just... Uh, completely 180 degrees from where I am now living in an apartment with Tara and you yourself have gone through several different, um, you know, living situations in the past. So it's been a turbulent, turbulent time, not just for us, for the entire world. Uh, while all this was happening, a, a global pandemic and a lockstep towards what looks like an even more Orwellian, uh, society is upon us. And I've noticed in your work, a big shift. Um, I fell in love with your work uh, because we have a common interest in nature and magic and all of the things that sort of blend in between. And then having that tangible experience of the Susquehanna river before meeting you, um, just added to that, you know, and since then we've, we've visited the Susquehanna river a couple times together and the river is still very much a part of, you know, who you are and what you're talking about and even where you live. But I'm curious to, to ask you about like how you view where you were when you first started your channel, Susquehanna alchemy and where you are now, because in my opinion, just from my perspective, the content has shifted away from, um, what I would see as like gonzo history research to more of gonzo philosophy. Um, and, and, and it's still, there's still history mixed in, but I feel like the emphasis for your work has shifted uh, but maybe that's just my perspective. What do you think, Mike? Uh, great first question, Mark. Um, so uh, I want to go back to always the exact syntax on how you phrase that question. Where am I right now? Is that is that the general question? Yeah, and with with Susquehanna Alchemy, the YouTube channel, and the type of content you first okay. put out. So where where I am in terms of like what I'm thinking about it and what I'm feeling about it, correct? Well, and I should clarify, what I meant to say was it seemed like you did a great deal of work laying out the background information for people. And since that time period, now you're sort of evolving past that, rather. And I'm wondering how you sort of see it, because that's what I've observed. Is right. that The background right. is right. laid out. Here's the things that people needed to be filled in on historically, what's gone down, that's been left out. And now you're sort of combining all that into a, 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 philo- a philosophy, really. I mean, it's a philosophy. Um, okay. I think, okay. So that's, that's, that's a great question. Um, so the way I, from my perspective, from my perspective, nothing's changed. You know, it's always been the same sort of thing. Uh, what I did with Susquehanna, uh, the Susquehanna mystery is really no, different than where I am right now in terms of 
how I see the world, you know, as an individual. Now, that may look very different, I would imagine, to the outside observer. I mean, and that's, you know, that's true for anyone paying attention to anything like, you know, uh, or any any other person like so the, so you as an individual you don't probably feel like you've changed so much even though other people might see great change um so let me go take a, a few steps back um my the susquehanna mystery phase of what i was since i became a you know a, a quasi public figure <laughs> um that's how I've always saw the world. So if you were a friend of, of Mike Wands prior to me going out via the internet and sharing like my perspective, uh, you know, there, there's no change. Like those people back then, like there's probably for half of my, for half of my friends, there's probably had been a lot of eye rolling. Like, Oh my God, this again. You're going to go and tell me like more connections about more things. Like, I mean, the idea of my family thinks I'm crazy. Like the, there could have been no better of a, of a description of how I had been because I'd always seen um, reality in, or my experience has been, had always been marked by an acute ability to make pattern recognition across channels which should not which are not typically crossed you know that's what synchromysticism is in in many ways like oh look this is the same this is the same this is the same and what have you um and there's that element and there's also been an element of of just trying to understand what the f is going on uh, in life, like, you know, what is this, you know, always this general question of what is, what, what is this experience we're having? And because that had been my basic question, what is this experience I'm having? And then having spent many, many, many years going down like fantastical sort of rabbit holes, or I say fantastical, I mean, based upon fantasy or at least based upon something which is just purely in the mind space that I eventually came to the conclusion, like I'm going to go and use as my point of reference, physical reality. Not that I'm saying physical reality is the end all be all, but this feels to me a more solid ground to begin my, uh, my my quest to understanding like what is what is this life experience that we're having and the susquehanna mystery just so happened to be the latest thing that i was interested in like prior to the susquehanna mystery i was interested in something else and prior to that i was interested in something else so what happened with the susquehanna mystery it was probably the richest the richest thing I looked into, and what I mean by richest, it had the most amount of of um, layers to it. You know, there was history to it. There was there was uh, like geography to it, and geology, 
and there was like native culture and there was like all of this sort of stuff. So it, it had more meat than maybe anything else I had done before, but it did not necessarily for me feel to be entirely different than my perspective. And my perspective has always been from the focus of my own experience. That's the gonzo element. So Susquehanna mystery hit. And then I'd always been a podcast. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in my life listening to podcasts up into that point. So I'm like, all right, now I'm ready. Now I have something which I thought was big enough that I can share it with other people because the stuff I was looking at beforehand had to be what was a little bit more like personal. And, you know, unless you lived in my own backyard, unless you were like maybe one of my good friends or within my family, like, you know, it probably was not too relatable, but then suddenly with the Susquehanna river and the history and all of that, that was involved with it. I knew that I had something which I could share on a larger, on a larger um, platform and you know plus I'm a storyteller I, I I wanted to be on a larger platform so that kind of kicked off this Susquehanna mystery um, period and for maybe about two years or so that was all I was doing I was doing a lot of podcasts and I was talking about the Susquehanna mystery but I knew in my in my understanding of myself and my understanding of how um, how persona can be created within like media or something. Like I knew that I was more than the Susquehanna mystery. I'm like, yeah, this is something that interests me. And this is something I've done a lot of research. And maybe this is a new way of, of perceiving this particular river or your environment or so forth. But I knew that I did not want to be, um, I knew that I was more than just like the river guy. Like, I mean, there's many more facets. In fact, like the, the, the story of the Susquehanna River isn't even so much about the Susquehanna River as much as it is to the fact that like, well, if this is accurate or if this is factual, what does this say about the nature of our reality? That was always my mindset. So I began to take that same sort of modus operandi, this mode of operation in which I would look at reality and I began to apply it once I developed a little bit of a, of a, um, um, you know, I don't want to like, like people are listening to me. And so I'm like, all right, let me go and do this in other places. Let me go and demonstrate that, uh, demonstrate this modus operandi in different, on different levels. So I started doing the same thing. And as it related to like, you know, the news or movies or all this sort of stuff, and to me, again, it's no different. It's no different than what the Susquehanna mystery was. And a hand and and a hand this started probably around like 2017, 2018, I think. And at the at the time I was always talking about like, you know, technology and where technology's taking us. And I was always a big social critic. And I was always like, you know, I came from the same sort of um uh uh conspiratorial lens of, of, of being able to see through, see through culture. And then, you know, the coronavirus hit the COVID, the COVID story hit. And that was like right in my, my, um, right in my wheelhouse. And so I kind of 
rode that wave a little bit because I've been talking about this. I demonstrated a certain way of, of um, looking at the world and then, and then, you know, all hell, you know, the, I, the, the safety net came off, you know, is that what, is that the analogy I want to use? It's like nothing really changed other than the fact like it got really real. Like my life got my, the, the questions I had always been asking about the nature of reality and the interconnectedness of reality and what create, what, what, creates what like you know what begets what the stories which we tell ourselves the stories that are told to us and then all of it started blending and that really kicked off one year ago um when you know you and tara came down to that free masonic that free masonic presentation which which i gave and then in this past year um i have experienced I've experienced like so many of these, these things, which were more like philosophical observations of the interconnectedness across all of these different, seemingly disconnected platforms of life. I'm like, no, these are like more connected than I could ever imagine. And that has really taken me out of like, it's funny. You mentioned this, you mentioned the, the phrase in the beginning, the dystopian future, like it looks like we're going towards this dystopian future. And in my mind, the more I have spent focused about around asking the questions of the nature of reality and the interconnectedness of life, um, I have found myself more draw, like brought into that web and experiencing that web firsthand and the idea of like a dystopian future, like uh, that seems so far removed from my actual experience. And that's not what I'm living. I don't see it. I don't see it at all. And so, <clears throat> you know, to kind of circle back to the initial question, which you asked is like, where are you at right now with the Susquehanna mystery, or at least in my mindset from where that began? Like, I don't really think I've so much changed so much as as much as life has really um, uh, pivoted around the viewpoint which I've always held. And what is that point of view for people who may not be familiar? I mean, you take this unique perspective into a very multifaceted realm. I mean, your YouTube channel covers everything from you know, the experts <laughs> in, in 2019 and the Biden and victory speech and, you know, de-occulting, uh, all these different things from political to, I mean, even movies like Bill and Ted's and, uh, so on. So what is that point of view? So, so the point of view which goes back to the original question, like what is the nature? The point of view is what is the nature of this experience, you know? And when I say the experience is like, like just being alive tied to a body. Like you wake up after being asleep and you're here again. And what is this here? And it's obvious like there's so much of this shit is fake. And then the question is like, how fake is it? You know, is it run by by interdimensional reptilians? Is that fake? Is that real? Like what 
is the what is the experience? Does that even matter? Does it become real because you've heard this story and now it's in your mind? Like, like these are the questions. And a lot of those, a lot of the videos which which I've done in the past, they were always about this philosophy which you made reference to, or like these questions, like what is the nature of reality? And the majority of them, I would say, are would would fall into um, two sides of of the same coin. And what that coin is is that every story deconstructs. Every narrative fall, can fall apart by being told from like it falls apart because it's an absolute bullshit, or it could be told because we're going to look at it from a different perspective. And the reason why stories matter is because we, as human beings, are story beings. And what I mean by that is like we understand reality through story or narrative form. And for whatever reason, something really friggin' magical happens. And I use the word magical in like in the like this general sense of like, you know, cause and effect that we don't understand how it is. But you know, this strange thing happens like with the stories that we internalize. And what I mean by that is like what we accept to be true, that seemingly plays out. And so it has been my it has been my experience, it's been my, my philosophy, which has been more or less uh, driven by conclusions of like asking questions and being like hyper observant that, um, that, the, that, the, the, that the nature of reality is stories. It's not so much that the story is false or true. It's like whatever it is, whatever you accept to be false or true, like that's what that's what really does seemingly not just like, oh, I'm telling myself this is true and I'm acting out accordingly. Like somehow it shifts into being true. So the videos which I made are on one hand, like, I'm going to go and deconstruct these ridiculous stories which are being told through media. And so part of it is, like, to take those apart. And then another one is, like, look, I can go and I can create just through uh, whether or not it's, it's like, like I, I'm, I'm being very purposeful with the words or the differentiations between truth and factual and accurate because these are seemingly describing the same sort or the same phenomenon but but there's subtle differences in texture but like there is an accuracy or something happens when when you can begin to tell like a lot of these stories like which i'm doing or the deconstructing it's of of like i think you said of like the biden speech is like if i can tell and it's not just mike you know, this could be anyone. If I can tell a story which is seemingly true enough where you're not, can't really like poke holes through it, like the points which I'm going to go and put weight upon, there are no contradictions. Well, then that almost becomes uh, factual or accurate, like almost like how an egregore works. And so a lot of the stories that I've told, like, I don't know how much I necessarily believed them to be 
um, like part of a conspiratorial plan of this is of this is like how the the powers that be are creating some sort of um, uh, uh, trap for us. As much as I want to go, and I've called them conspiratorial ghost stories, you know, these things that go bump in the night, I'm going to create enough truism where we think there's something we can begin to go and see, like, how stories become reality. This is part of what I've, what you and I have discussed in great detail in the past, Mark, called the James Shelby Downard Vortex. Like, that is, like, where where the rubber meets the road between the stories we tell ourselves and the lives we live and the reality in which we're experienced. And it is playing in that world and, and exploring, um, exploring that world, which is really, if you're going to say you have it, I wouldn't say it's a philosophy, even though I've used that word, and I'm only using that word because you used it in this conversation. I think it's more of a a modus operandi, a mode of operation in terms of how it is that that I, as an individual, am meeting the life experience. And what is the life experience? being alive tied to a physical body with ground beneath the feet and sky above the head. That's the only thing which I can say is, or that's at least the beginning point of the, of this experience we're having. Mm. So like all of this is like the going, now I'm, I'm, I'm circling back to where this question began or where this conversation is like, it began as an investigation. It began as presentations. It began as like looking at patterns and looking at the natural world and looking at history and looking at, at, at geography. And then also looking at my own life experiences. And the more I have leaned into it, like really like putting value into life experience that like it, it, it's become, uh, the, the 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 story of my life has become a reflection of the perspective in which I have been looking at it. And I do this as a demonstration. You know, I do this in a Truman Show demonstration in front of an audience. You know, the audience is who's ever paying attention as a way of like, this is how malleable reality seems to be. What I've sort of picked at the most from what you just said is something that you've talked about a lot, baseline reality. And like, that is what you were just saying. Like, all I know is this A, B, and C. I have my feet on the ground, my head in the sky. <laughs> the sun's there, the moon's there. This is baseline reality. And it's more and more apparent that this is this sort of anchoring or grounding that every individual needs to reach in this very turbulent, I was saying Orwellian society that we're heading towards. I don't say that, you know, optimistically, I hope we don't go there, but maybe part of keeping our head on our, our head in the sky and feet on the ground too, is not looking forward too much and seeing what's right here like the, the like like how 
in your video, Mike, at the end, you said like you were inspired and wanted to um, do the starboard gatherings and create community that way. When a group of people are fixated on the same focus and that brings things into being. Right. And same for realities. Well, it reminds me of how around 2021, when synchronicities would seem like what I was feeling and thinking about were starting to kind of appear out of the blue and like lead life in a certain direction for creating like this, this dream to live in. All right. Can I, can I, can I respond to that? Yeah, please. All right. So um, the first thing which Tara said was about um, the feet on the ground, and 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 you said this also, Mark, and the and the and the sky above. So when I I keep going back to that because it is a starting point. It is the starting point, and that's what I mean by that. It's like this is what I can. This is what I know as my starting point it's the most real i know and what's the most real i know is that there's ground beneath my feet and what and to be a little bit so this will go into the philosophy element so i'm not calling it it earth on purpose because i don't know what fucking earth is like you're telling me that i'm living on this ball and it's floating in space and i'm not saying that's not true because I like, I know the whole, you know, the whole, I'm not trying to go down like flat or spherical earth or like any of that. What I'm just saying is like, all of that is a standard deviation away from the fact of what do I do now? I do know that, that there's ground underneath my feet and whether this ground is like from a simulation that feels real or the earth, I don't know, but I'm going to start from right there. And what I know is there's ground or there's sky above my head. Am I looking at firmament? Is that, that what I'm looking at? Am I looking at a Truman Show false sky? Am I looking at the outer space and I'm seeing the dark rift of the Milky Way galaxy 25 million light years away? I don't know. All I know is that it's above there. I don't know, like, you know, where I go when I dream. I just know that when I'm awake, it's, t- it's connected to this body. When I'm asleep, it seemingly isn't. So when I say, when I say the, the, the the body and the ground and the and the sky it's as a starting point and the reason why we need that and it's kind of like what and, and i agree with you so much and i think it's such a valid point tara is like like it's like it brings you to the present moment because right now like what's happening in in the uh in the consensus reality which we're experiencing is like it's absolutely like from a from a being tied to a physical body which has a nervous system we are on such we are on such a constant like um uh, assault it ain't easy being human by like in the way which life is lived by right now and and I'm not interested in being part of it. And I'm also interested in being able to separate myself from that. So that's like the being present and all of that sort of stuff. Um, that's an important point. I also want to put an asterisk to this as well. I find this fascinating. Like 
right now, like I just said something like right now is the most like it's, you know, it's crazy out there. Um, there's a movie that came out in the seventies called network, which is a really popular movie, particularly, uh, within like, um, cultural conspiratorial researchers, uh, because it talks a lot about like, you know, the way that network news is, is, is created. But there's a scene in the movie where the guy, the, the news anchor yells, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And he like opens up the window. He's like in New York city and he yells it out. Or maybe he tells like the audience, if you feel the same way, go and do the same. And then like all of these people throughout America are yelling, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. And now I want to add this into the mix. Um, uh, I can't think of what, what book it is. I think it, um, a tale of two cities, um, who wrote the tale of two cities. I can't remember the author, Charles Dickens. And I think it's credited to have been written in the 1800s and it begins this way. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. So what I want to go and indicate is like seemingly at any given point in, in human history, like people are fucking miserable and they're like, this is the worst it's ever been. So when I say right now, it's the worst it's ever been always it's been the worst it's ever been that seems to be how they set the whole motherfucking thing up so so i want to go and say that i don't want to be like doom and gloom but i want to recognize like there's this 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 assault on what it means to be a human being and and without getting into like who is the creator or, you know, wise creator of this is the way which we're experiencing life in the body, you know, living with the ground on the ground with the sky above our head. Um, going back to this story, nature is like, I think that there could be ve- like the it doesn't have to be like this. In fact, it is so much more malleable than we could ever imagine. That's one of the things which I'm hopefully demonstrating with all of this story stuff is like, look how friggin' nuts this is. You heard me talk about stuff like a year ago and now look at what, what has shown up in my life. Like this hasn't been planned. And if this is true for me, then what does this say about the nature of reality? And the reason why it's so important, important for me to demonstrate that is because the other thing which you said Tara is is like you know this is a consensus reality like yes I'm having my individual experience and you're having your individual experience and so forth but there are certain things which we're all in agreement about and that that overlap in which we're agreeing upon like that makes like this a big part of the shared outer world of our consensus reality and as long as that is like continually fed by the belief like well that's just the way it is it's just the way it is you know it's we're going this way and it's always been this way like it always is that way so so much of of this is a part of a lot of my 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 what I talk about in videos is like the nature of how consciousness is molded because if you could understand how it's molded, you have a better understanding of how this system has, has been sustained for so long. So now rounding back to the final point I want to make to what you said, Tara, as it relates to the fellowship of the board and starboard. So there's this thing which, you know, I, I, I practice something or I term something which I call natural astrology. And I had been a practicing, you know, 
quote unquote professional astrologer for five or six years. Like that's probably how I made the most most amount of money to support myself. And trust me, it hasn't been a lot of money, but that's what I had done. And I did it like, you know, maybe my way, but utilizing traditional astrology and going through these experiences of what I've described. Like, I'm like, I can't do astrology the way I've done anymore. I can't, I can't keep on reiterating the same archetypes that were started by the same Babylonian princes that's in, in priest class that started the whole sort of system that we're still a part of. But there's a truth to astrology. There's something significant about astrology and our relationship to where we're having our life, but it is different and it is outside of the, the narrative version. And so this fellowship of the board using the star board to practice natural astrology, which is astrology with, with an appreciation of mystery and really understanding like through observation, what's happening in the sky, but holding like, like a, a sense of awe and wonder in the mystery. The, and to, to do this in a collection of people, it's because that is the most that is the, the most objective reality which I can see can be experienced, which links all of us, you know, whoever's doing this together. We can all see the same phenomenon in the sky. We can understand it on the same way without any interpretation, no, uh, and hold it in a state of, of uncertainty and without needing to name it. You know, that is the present moment that you're talking about, Tara. And when we do this collectively, this is how you go about and you create you create a new consensus reality. And so all that's necessary is a critical mass, because as soon as a critical mass occurs, then the there is a large group of people who can see the bullshit of the the consensus reality which is being experienced right now, but they're holding on to it because they don't have anywhere else to go. And as soon as it can be demonstrated that there's somewhere else to go, then that pulls people in. Another way of describing that is magnetism. And so the, another way of describing what I'm talking about is like meta paradigm shifting and collapsing of false timelines, all of this sort of stuff. So now I guess, Mark, you know, you're like, what is the philosophy? This is the philosophy in Mike's world. So like, where has it changed? When I started talking about Susquehanna mystery, like five years ago, it was, it was mostly an investigation into reality. And now where I would say I am is like, I'm full blown, like, all right, let's collapse this old world. I've seen how it works well enough to, to one, see where, where if you don't get off this bridge, there's only, or this train, there's only one way they're going to, one, one destination for this train. And it's the Klaus Schwab world economic matrix, you know, everyone living in the tube world. And we have to we have to agree to go upon that, but we don't have to. And so I don't know what would be another version of reality right now, which is not part of that paradigm, which has been, which has been 
fed to us. But what I do know is if we can remove ourselves from any of those stories, when we recognize all of our stories have been fed to us by the same people who've lied to us the whole time, who've created the entire, the entire narrative, and we can hold it in stillness in the present moment and are constantly collapsing the stories which they tell us is true on how this world works, well, then something new will naturally go and fill in that void because what we know about baseline reality, a.k.a. the natural world before being labeled or being named, is that it abhors a vacuum. So as soon as we collapse one consensus reality, which is just a mental construct, a structure in consciousness, a new one will naturally show itself. So yeah, I guess that's that's kind of where I'm sitting right about now. I love it. Yeah, and that's that's sort of where I was hoping to circle to because it seems like you went from, you know, deconstructing reality, investigating reality to navigating reality. And I guess that's my next question is do you think you're still navigating reality or or is that your answer there that you know you're sort of turning turning your back to it because you know that it's inevitable a different reality will present itself. All right. So, uh, (laughs) I came from that reality. I came like, I was really, I was really well positioned in that reality. Like I had a good job. I had all of the things that that reality all of the goodies which they promise people like that's how they get people to do this stuff is like you know it's the carrot and the stick and i had a lot of the carrots i mean this is going back to 25 years ago and um i've slowly like i've moved away from all of that um and had i not had i not had children had I not had something which was so meaningful to me, which was still grounded in that reality, you know, who knows how or where I'd be living, you know, probably be, (laughs) I don't know what I would be doing, but I have been for the past 10 years or so straddling more or less, more or less between two worlds. And really in the past year, Whereas maybe I had like one foot in one world and one foot in the other world. Now I've got like one toe in the old world and two feet, nine toes in something else. Like, um, I am, you know, I, I, I'm all in, if you will, uh, towards this, this means of, of living life, like really like, you know, um, uh, treating life is like almost like an experiment. Like, you know, how, how true is this? Like how much, how, how, how real can I, how much can I make experiential reality bend to my inner will? of not participating in the other world. (laughs) And it certainly is not easy, but then there, this is like what I mean when I made reference to consensus reality and critical mass and so forth. Um, 
and community that we, we talked, you use the community world word, Tara, um, where I am right now is, is like really like almost, it feels like preaching an alternative perspective. And like, if there's ever going to be a time for, for, for this type of, this type of, of, of perspective to fall upon ears, it's now because like, you're right. There is this, not only is there this like ridiculous dystopian future, but like the ridiculousness, the ridiculousness of reality is, um, so, so, okay. So I'm going to, the ridiculousness of reality is, is gone mainstream. And I'm gonna give you two examples. One, um, eight years ago, Eight years ago, like I really thought it was like really cool stuff to talk about how the Super Bowl halftime show was like a satanic ritual. Like how the MTV, like VMAs were like a satanic ritual. And like eight years ago, like that was a ridiculous concept. That was so nuts, like eight years ago. Like maybe like one percent of the population would be like, okay, oh my God, you're right. That's exactly what's happening. Like maybe two percent of the population might be able to be like, okay, maybe there's something there. And then three percent of the population would be like, you're insane. There's absolutely no truth to what you're saying. The world's not run by sat- satanic pedophiles. And and so like that was eight years ago. And this past Super Bowl, you know, I didn't see it, but but I saw like, you know, and no, I, I talked about this to, to my sons because they were saying that. They were like, oh, yeah, like the Super Bowl halftime show. Like, yeah, everyone knows it's like a satanic ritual now. And they go to a Catholic school, which I think is so funny. They go to Catholic a Catholic high school. Uh, and so I, I can only imagine what it's like to be my sons based upon like all of the different uh, uh, influences which make up their their mental constructs for me and like the their Waldorf education and now their 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 Catholic high school education and, and the influence from their mother. But that's another topic. Um, that's mainstream right now. Like if that's even talked about, like that's so mainstream. Like the fact that like yeah, everyone knows it, that or not everyone, but like twenty five percent of the population like can see how that is like yeah, that's how the world works. Likewise, uh, the past week or so, like what is being put out there is like all on the mainstream news is all of these, um, uh, all of these uh, uh, train derailments are um, are occurring, and one of these train derailments apparently is, and I don't know the details of of this story. It's a very very uh, strong reflection of a movie that was put out that came out like uh, one year ago or two years yeah, ago. The Ohio, the Ohio one. Right. Yeah. So everyone's talking about that right now. Like, like the most normal person, mainstream person can understand that right now. And they're beginning to see that as part of reality. Eight years ago, that type of conversation of like, you know, Simpsons predicting reality or any of like the show of the movies as predictors of reality, like that affected that that only held influence or or gathered weight in such a small percentage of the population compared to now where like everyone's seeing that. So now rounding this back to what I was saying about like now is the time. Like it's like the reason when Pete, when we've got a, a, a large group of, of 
when we've got a critical mass right now of the population who are able to see all of this sort of stuff and and just shrug, be like, yeah, you know, pedophiles, Satanists, halftime show, yeah, the movie matches, uh, the the story on the news like that came out a year ago and like shrug their shoulders uh, and then still go about maybe not even just go about their lives, but then go about looking for more, more of these, these kind of stories. Like, you know, that's stuck. That's a groundhog's day. That's like the same thing happening over and over again. And that will pull someone into like, as you were saying, like possibly this dystopian reality, like continuing to become more and more linked into living one's life through the grounding of, of technology. So that being said, like going back to Mike's philosophy, or at least what Mike is like, you know, doubled down upon of like creating like a community or a group of people who are like, okay, I'm going to step outside of that. I don't know where else to go because I've been born into the friggin' system. And I understand the nature of human consciousness is like your consciousness is formed by the system you were born into. And I recognize that means I have a ton of friggin' blind spots. And so that means that even what I think would be a good story could very well just be the system's way of telling me what I think a good story is, a.k.a. the controlled opposition built into the system I was born into. So like a willingness to go and take all that I know of how it works and say, I'm going to stand in the stillness of observing the most true which I can see, which is like the natural world, baseline reality, understand those cycles and do that with a group of people and a willingness to be like, all right, I'm going to allow all of those lies. I'm going to see through those. I'm going to see through the ridiculousness. I'm going to say the emperor is wearing no clothes. I'm going to say those shadows, those, those, those things dancing on the walls are just shadows in this cave they got me chained into. And I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm going to walk into the unknown, but I got faith. I got faith in whatever it is that makes the sunrise and my heart beat. I'm going to trust that that's going to go and bring me through to bring about the next iteration. And that iteration is outside of this Groundhog's Day revolution where it's the same story, but the outer world, the outer version of it changes, but the deeper part stays the same. Uh Uh-uh. I'm going to something brand new. I don't know how it's going to happen, but if it's going to happen, this is how it's going to be. And Mike has demonstrated over the past five years, like, listen, somehow or another, the more the more we lean into these stories, the stranger this stuff seems to be, well, then guess what? That seems to be the way life does play out. And so that's where I am right now. It is certainly a high wire act. Um, it requires, at least for the trailblazers, and this is true for any trailblazer, it requires a high degree of comfort in discomfort, but like, what else do we got going? What, what, what other choice do you got? You know, you could be cipher from the, from the uh, Lucifer cipher from the matrix and say like, all right, I want to go back to sleep. Let me, I know the snake is fake, but boy, does it taste good in my mouth. Yeah. 
Jeez, that's interesting. I didn't think about Cypher as <laughs> the suffix of Lucifer until just now. And we saw a comic last night named Cypher Sounds, who's actually a pretty famous uh, radio DJ in the New York area. Uh, not saying, not no no shade casted on Cypher Sounds, but that is an <laughs> interesting way to put it. I also had a conversation recently with a guy who explained uh, Lucifer as a sort of lesser of two evils, that there are factions of Malachians versus factions of Luciferians. And, you know, Malak, Baal, same entity, essentially. Uh, and, and that, you know, the Luciferians offer free will, but with a catch, keeping you in this false paradigm this false timeline and what we're talking about here with this conversation is evolving past that past the paradigm of oh my gosh the Moloch worshipers did this again oh my gosh the luciferians are doing this now getting past that and actually not sticking your head in the sand and ignoring it but navigating out of that reality um, in this sort of uh, retro causality sort of way, where you see your your reality, your future, uh, unaltered by those uh, influences, because that's what that's what people get caught up in, as you're saying. You know, they they end up in this Groundhog's Day scenario because they are constantly looking for the groundhog popping out, you know, like that arcade game uh, with the groundhog and you have the hammer and you got to try to smash Sonic. it. No, no, the like the really rudimentary arcade game where you have a big hammer. Oh, the arcade game the, the, where it pops up and you actually hit it. Yeah, with a big fake mallet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what, it's, that's what it's like when you get caught up in this conspiracy research. I mean... Sure, there's a lot of uh, well, I think, valuable information that's shared, but it, it you know, it, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. That's what I'm thinking of. Makes what were you going to say, Tara? This makes me think of the the glass bead game. That how so? Because the a large part of well, I think getting out of the, the conspiracy or post-conspiracy era is to tell, like, is it's telling, telling stories or just going out and being a part of the natural cycle. So spending more time in nature and f allowing our bodies to feel more in tune with that. And, and just kind of seeing like little, little things. I mean, this is what I would do too like years ago or when I was, when I was little run around and like the pattern recognition and notice little things here and there and like, and then, and go back and tell our friends about it, whatever. But with the glass speed game, it kind of seems like the same thing. And like we each live <coughs> our lives and have, just go on like the scene with the scene and going on scene adventures and things that come up. And then when we can sit together and talk about them. To me, from my perspective, the glass bead game, and for those who are listening and aren't familiar, that's a, a, 
a regular show I uh, podcast I did with Emily Moyer. Um, and the glass beating was part of the time. Doing synchronistic play, like showing connections and doing research through time and showing all these sort of connections. And the question is, and I, and I would ask myself this as, a, as one of the hosts, I'm like, you know, what's the value of this? Why am I doing this? Why are people watching this? Because, like, it doesn't necessarily go anywhere. But the value is exactly, and, and the conclusion I came to was the value is exactly what you just described, Tara, is like, it is the practice of like looking at things differently, of coming up with new narratives. And the reason why we need that practice is because we don't recognize the fact is you were born into a system. We are all born into a system which has spent the entire time preparing you to live your life based upon this is how you do it, these value systems. And these are the and the reason why is because these are the stories in which you have internalized to believe that this is what purpose of life here on earth is. And in order to get out of that, in order to repattern your mind, you have to go through some pretty extreme things. Like, you know, you could go through uh, clockwork orange repattering where we go and we, we tie you onto a chair and zap you and make you see things. Or you could go and and begin to see reality in a different way and make connections in ways which you did not see um, see that they were. Now, I'll say this. I, I want to go back to what Mark said when he talked about, like, the conspiracy theory. I think that everyone, in order to move out of the, 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 the mainstream view of how reality works, you have to go through a conspiratorial time, uh, a conspiratorial time frame. And what the conspiratorial time frame does is it teaches you how to see things differently. I'm not saying every conspiracy is accurate or not, but when you begin to go through all of these conspiracies, you begin to see things like, oh, it's a different, oh, it's not the way I've been taught. It's not, this story is not true. This story is not true. There are other stories. The danger of that is you get caught in that. You get caught in it in the fact that you're like, oh, let me get something new. I need my next fix. I need my next conspiracy fix. You know, that's where I get my dopamine fit. Or you get caught in it like you become a paranoid motherfucker. Doesn't matter. If you're stuck there, you're stuck there. But if it serves you what it does, conspiratorial is like, I can go and move, learn to see things differently and then also hold in the back of my mind that there is a very good chance that, you know, I'm being set up to believe a false story, that this is a, a pre-planned red herring for me. And that's the reason why I always go back to, like, uh, the, the natural world, the natural world for two reasons. One is, like, let me go back to the most real I know. The most real I know is that I'm alive linked to a body with ground beneath my feet and sky above my head so I don't get caught up in possibly a whole bunch of BS which has been fed to me. And then secondly is uh, even deeper than that is – something very, very soothing to the nervous system of the physicality of being human, like happens when you step outside of the nonstop uh, assault 
of modern era EMF fields, uh, constant data and all of that, uh, constant competition for survival and all that sort of BS. Yeah, well said. I think the difficult part now, I don't know where you stand on this, Mike, is, you know, people for a while have had this like trope, especially from outlets like InfoWars, of, you know, prepping for doomsday, right? And I, I know that's not what you're suggesting. You're not suggesting prepping, but you are suggesting people navigate reality uh, separate from the, you know, matrix, for lack of a more complex term. And, uh, yeah, I guess, what do you think your advice for people who want to step into that, you know, obviously things like farming, being close to the land, having a direct relationship with where you get your food, those are all things we've talked about here before. I'm sure you're plenty aware of that whole subject. Is that what you're suggesting? Is it as simple as that, or, or is there more? So I in uh, so all right. <laughs> How far out there can we go? As far as you want, Mike. All right, because the reason I ask that is when you take someone too far before they're ready to go too far, you lose them. And so what I don't want to do is lose a bunch of people. <laughs> but I'm going to go far. So you asked me that question. So everything is in question in my perspective. There is nothing, there is nothing that is not in question. Okay. So first thing is I, and, and I recognize, so, so this is part of like the, this is part of the blind spot of at least the way I'm a trailblazer and I'm a trailblazer going into blind spots and particularly in blind spots of the potentiality of life, you know, as a human being with ground beneath our feet and um, sky above our head because just because something has been experienced as true does not mean that that is the only um, is the only uh, way it can be and any meta paradigm shift which is what I'm interested in will have to seem like fantasy using the paradigm using the logic of the paradigm which is currently being experienced so my personal opinion is like what you just described is in my mind red herring bullshit created by like as you said like the 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 info war wars sort of um mentality of like that's one of the reasons why people get stuck is because they're like given two choices. They're like, well, guess what? You're going to this, uh, we're, we're all going to this, this um, cryptocurrency blockchain based reality where you live in a, you're having a black mirror existence. Or if you don't want to do that, you're going to have to go and live like a stone age farmer. 
And most people, like there, there are, I know a lot of people are like, yeah, I'd love to live like a Stone Age farmer. I personally, I, and I know people who try to live like that, and they're like, no, this is too hard. This is not realistically. Like, I know people who try to grow their own food. They learned everything. They're like, at very best, I was able to come up. If you're going to grow your own food and support your family and live off grid, at best, you can come up with 25% of like your caloric intake. At best, maybe 50%. I think that's all completely the wrong mindset. Um, I think that the expression of the human body and physical form is much more malleable. And I know it hasn't been experienced yet. And to many people, uh, particularly those who are going to be very grounded in thought, this is going to sound ridiculous, but here's the logic. So one, I know that this world, I don't know what this world even is. Like it's a mystery. Where are you? You don't know. How'd you get here? I don't know. You don't know. So if you think you do, you've just limited all the possibilities. Um, so that means that there's a lot of, there's a lot of potentiality of what could be or, or what, how life could be experienced. Um, and what uh, I forgot where the logic, I have this great like place where I was going to go with all of this. Well, I'll go here first. Um, if you actually go and, and put an open mind emphasis in all of the, the, the scientific research behind any of the different nutritional perspectives, whether that be like a carnivore perspective or a keto perspective or a vegan perspective, you'll see that they all use lots of different studies from really smart people who go and they have all of this conclusion about what it is the human being needs to eat in order for maximum um, uh, maximum health. And you'll go and see that they all of these different approaches are contradictory in nature. They're like, look, I, these are the best experts, and they came to these conclusions. And if you do them side by side, you'd be like, hey, but they're in contradiction to each other. Like, which is right? So the conclusion which I've come to is like, none of it's right, or it's all right, it's all malleable, it's or it's not that simple. Um, what makes the most sense to me is this. If you look at all of the creatures that are living on what we're calling Earth, they are seemingly born with all that they need to survive, whether that be fur or like, you know, what it means to like go out and like live in the wild and just be like fine. And I think the same is true for a human. And except how it is presented to us is like the humans are the only ones that that aren't, you know, the human being needs to go out and find shelter and go and need to do this and go and need to 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 have clothes and, and can't keep itself warm. Um, I don't think that's true. I think the human being, uh, the reason why we come the way we are is because we actually have the potentiality to have 100 percent control of what we think of as our physical body. Now, whether or not that's been experienced or expressed yet, I don't know. There are hints to it. Like, if you go and you look at, like, any, like, uh, like master Taoists or master Kung Fu masters or, like, you know, people who lived in the jungle. Like, there are always these, these kind of stories that hint at those that don't need to eat, you know, the breathitarians or maybe even a fruititarian or a sonitarian. The point being is I think those are just... 
I think those are just clues to the higher expression of what it would be to be human being, like to have aliveness tied to a body on this grounded area with sky above our head. Because I think that we were have the potentiality, like why would we be here? And it's really to enjoy ourselves or to enjoy the experience or to have an experience. And to me, what that would be is like a lot of travel, going to different places, meeting different people. I would think we would eat periodically. I don't think we have to eat. Eating would be like a like something joyful to do, but you don't do it all the time. And our body composition would be very different would probably be much much lighter than we are maybe less dense that's the word i'm trying to use not lighter but or lighter as like not as solid matter um i think that's what the human experience would be and i think the reason why people would go to the idea of like well that's not true it's because we're animals and 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 we need to have 2000 calories a day and you know this is how they did it then and we're going to go and we're going to learn all of these techniques of of like the stone age farmers so that we can move out of the matrix and live in those in those in those communities and maybe that is a a halfway step to where i'm going but the reason why people subscribe to that is, in my opinion, uh, one is like, you know, it's seemingly experientially true because, you know, we see ourselves as this physical um, beast like creature our bodies are. But even more so, we have been so conditioned to think of ourselves as an animal. Oh, you're an animal. And so you have to behave like an animal and your body is like an animal. And so if you are identifying with your experience from that physical animal perspective, of course, that's going to make the most amount of sense to you. Me, I think everything's there is nothing which I'm taking off the table. Um, I've seen so many ridiculousness things as to the narrative of my life that I'm open to the ability that the physicality within my life is just as malleable as like the experiences of my life. Yeah. That reminds me of the, the mineral vegetable. Oh, like a few things came to mind then. The mineral, vegetable, animal kingdom and and us being lighter or denser depending on the, the stories that we're telling ourselves too, right? And each other. Exactly. The stories which we've uh, which which we've identified with to be true. And then once you've done that, that becomes your point of reference to go out in the world to verify that's what's accurate. Hmm. Yeah. It's it reminds me of the the fizzy lifting drink. In a posit like in a from Willy Wonka. I don't know what you mean by that. From Willy Wonka? Yeah. So they when they go into the into that room and they drink the soda, they start to get lighter and then they they float up and they're like flying. Yeah, the stories would be the soda, and they drink the soda, and they they f start flying up towards. Well, there's a fan there, and then they have to. They like they burp them. They start burping in order to get 
away from the fans. So they go up too high and then they have to come back down. Well, well I love, I, I use, so I use Charlie the Chocolate Factory. I think that's to me in my inner world, that has always been a, a phenomenal example of, of stories and the, and of the um, ability, the malleability of, of reality. Whereas Willy Wonka understood on a deeper level the 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 way the world works. I mean, this is this and Mark. This this kind of goes into like a lot of secret society sort of stuff. Is you know the secrets of how it all works, and there are various degrees or, or opinions as to whatever the secret is. But to me, the secret has always been like what we're kind of getting at right now is is the malleability of reality. Um, so I like the idea of the the Willy Wonka or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as the book in the original movie. I think it was called um, like as a as a metaphor to like how malleable reality can be and then also like you know i'm thinking about like the as you mentioned a moment ago mark about the luciferian molokian sort of different perspectives of 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 more or less energy vampires who are sucking off of other people's life force in order to have an experience reality um that's also tied into these Willy Wonka stories as well. Um, and I just want to say one last thing on that, like on a side note, because I know we do like the conspiratorial aspect. The author of that story, Robert, Robert Dahl, Ronald Dahl, um, he got his beginning uh, working for the, the, um, the predecessor or the, the British the British aid, which taught the United States how to create the OSS and then the CIA, um, there was British Secret Service that did that, and there were a handful of psychological warfare authors that came out of that practice. One was Ronald Dahl, and the other one was Ian Fleming, who then went and did 007, the the James Bond films and or books, and so. I have always held, in my opinion, that embedded within all, all of those stories and then the movies which came upon them, I think this is true with really everything that comes out of Hollywood, is there are great there are great hints and clues as to the nature of reality for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. Yeah, yeah. Rawald. Ro- Doll. Um, is that how his name is pronounced? Yeah, it's a weird name. It's like Ronald without the N. It's essentially essentially the name Ronald. But yeah, and he also came up with uh, James and the Giant Peach, um, a couple others, Fantastic Mr. Fox, a lot of uh, the big friendly a- giant, a lot of things that have been, you know, kind of pulled out into the Hollywood mainstream, you know, onto to come, become big movies. So yeah, definitely checks out. 
the I think it was called the British, British Security Corporation was the name of the um, of the entity which he was part of in the early forties, um, which then became the which then became the beginning of um, the OSS. Mm-hmm. Fascinating stuff. I did I did a phenomenal a phenomenal deep dive on that like years ago about that and Doctor Who and all sorts of great stuff and the J, JFK assassination it was good stuff. Yeah, it's fascinating to see where these, um, you know, children's authors have connections to uh, outlet, you know, groups like the CIA, OSS, MI5, MI6. Uh, Dahl was a Royal Air Force pilot, so makes sense that he would be put into that, you know, prominent position to write all of these, you know, award-winning books right and i think a lot of those award shows are designed in this same way of uh, reality management right to give people the impression that this is the important stuff that you should be focusing on the these authors that have been uh, propped up by uh, the system everything's reality management that is the name of the game of anything which has structure it's reality management all education is reality management all like i mean that that once you realize like because how one sees reality is what creates the reality whether that is done purposefully or not whether someone's just parroting what they've been taught but that is exactly what it is this goes back to the the malleability of experience uh, of our experiential reality it's all reality management and so let's so so i i i, I want to go and use that now like describing what it is that i'm doing or what my philosophy is you used it it is reality management or in a uh, to deconstruct the limitations of what has been put upon us in the past i love that reality management term i'm going to use that a lot going forward to mark right on well and and i do want to remind you of the thought i don't know if you you shared it yet but you said there was something really far-fetched uh, that people would not expect uh, to my question about, you know, um, well, really what inspired you to say what you said about the prepping situation and how that's just another extension of the, the Groundhog's Day um, scenario trap, you know, um, and how you were, you were saying how, well, even if you grow your own food, there's people that you know personally who have gone that route and, have expressed that even with the the brightest insights, they were only able to get, you know, tops 50% of their caloric intake covered. So there's still uh, some need to be existing in a network or a, a, a community at the very least. But you, you were suggesting something far, far out, so far out that... I don't, I don't, I don't think we need food. I don't think you need food. Right. Okay. And that's where you're getting at with the moon. That's what I mean. And so if that were to happen, like I think of how you think of the physical body, you know, what we're so conditioned to think of the physical body is this dense form. Like, you know, I don't necessarily think that's the end all be all. Well, that in light, and maybe I just like went blank for 20 minutes and missed the fact that you and Tara were just talking about that. But uh, the, the Charlie and the chocolate factory, 
analogy is even more perfect to me because the whole idea of candy, it's like this made up food. It like doesn't exist. It's, you know, confectionery. It's like an alchemy. Like they took essentially like sugar and things that are like derivatives from other things and created this like whole brand of artificial foods, you know, and, and yeah, I, I would, I would venture to agree with you that if our society was structured differently, maybe we would have a situation where people um, could survive without that. But do you think that like being in the I, environment? I, I think I, this is what I want to go back to what you said before. So I'm just throwing these out as ideas. I'm not telling anyone to go and try it, but this is um, the idea of survival. That that's stupid. I don't think that should be part of the human experience. So there's a far out one. Like what I mean is you have total control over your body. There's nothing that could be killed. You are able to regenerate it because it is controlled by your mind. Right. What would you do that? Well, what that, would you do that? It's not what, biologically like, impossible. It's actually happening in your body all the time. You're, we know our bodies all, rebuild there, there themselves. You go, there you go. There you go. Like if you were to go and take all of these little clues and hints and you were to go and, and, and we're just playing fantasy right now, folks. So we're just playing fantasy. If you were to go and like really think like, well, what would that be like? Like, what would it be if like, here you are on, and this is your physical body and you get like all of like the, the kind of feedback mechanisms of having this physical body, like all the stuff that feels good, still feels good. All the stuff that hurts. Yeah. That still hurts too. And but you don't necessarily have that 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 idea that I can die or like, oh, my God, where am I going to live or am I going to get enough food to eat or, or like, how am I going to like all of those things like that doesn't matter anymore. What would you do here? Like the experience would be different um, on a certain level. Like you could say like that. There, there's a whole class of people that live like that. Like, you know, the the Rothschilds with their private jets who fly all over the this area, supposedly in these beautiful houses all over the place and go to these amazing parties and have amazing food and amazing, like everything that you could think of, like what would be amazing. Like these people are supposedly doing it. Like if like to me, like that's the, 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 this, this, if you literally looked at what they're telling us, this reality is, it's like, it's so fantastical. It's a fantasy. It's crazy. So like, what if we were to really go and not only like, like experience that to the furthest degree, but then be in a consensus reality where we all kind of agreed upon that. Like that is a marker of our reality that the stories we believe are true and the consensus reality that comes from a critical mass of people agreeing the same thing, AKA this, how you create an egregore, this is how you create a culture, all these sort of things. Like, like that's, that's factual. Um, like there is so much potentiality, but like in order to get there like that, as of right now, like that requires an immense amount of friggin' courage to be like, well, I don't know if I'm really going to buy that. I'm going to test. I'm going to test the limits of what they're telling us. Like, I'm doing it in a safe way. In the fact that I'm like, I just don't believe in their calendars anymore. I know there's no such thing as Friday. 
I know there's no such thing as Friday. I know midnight doesn't exist. I know that if midnight doesn't exist, that means you're telling me the next day or the next calendar day begins at midnight. And if midnight doesn't exist, that means the next calendar day doesn't exist. So that means all of this thing, which I'm picturing in terms of which are, ba- which are based upon calendars and dates and all that, all of that is a mental construct. Like I'm pulling on those threads. What happens when we start pulling on those threads? I pull on those threads and then I see the experiences of my life change immensely because calendars measure experiences. Like, you know, there are people that that do things and push the limitations of the human body and not like, you know, from this idea of like, oh, let me go and crack this like molecular code so I can go and create another vitamin pill and do, no. This is a mental experience. Like the reason why the human being comes without any fur or anything like that is because everything we need to be completely successful on this experience should come from within us. And if that means it comes from within us, that means it has to come from our mental space. Mm. That's what I think. I mean, I'm, I haven't experienced it yet, but that is the that is the the avenue which I'm leaning towards, mm. and and also recognizing, like you know, and that's and that's one and this is another reason why I go back to to like feet on the ground and like head in the sky and all of this because I'll be the first one to recognize, like I'm this is a tightrope walk in what I'm suggesting between like total fantasy and fantastical. Like, I'm not suggesting go jump off a building because the only reason you're not flying is because you don't think you can fly. Um, But at some point, like, if enough people jump off buildings and say, hey, like, it's just an attitude and you can fly, like, you know what? People are going to start doing that. Um, That's kind of the the level of the envelope which I like to to push up against. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I love it, Mike. It's definitely reminding me of some of the books I found when we, when you were kind enough to share as many books as you did when we visited your collection, books about Eastern medicine, human potential, and how the boundaries or the limits, the limitations are a lot uh, less than we have been presented. You know, I remember a show, I think it was Stan Lee Presents, like, amazing humans or something like that or human marvels and it was a television show where they would go and they would bring a camera to to show you know what these monks could do right with the i'm sure you've seen where they balance themselves on the tip of a spear right their bare skin of their chest is up on this spear and they're 10 feet in the air above the spear all sorts of other feats. I mean, not just monks either. It was anybody. There were people who had just strange abilities that he would show. Well, and to, uh, and I can, I, I see like there's a commonality in what you're picking up in this conversation because that's another, that, that, that dovetails very well with when you brought up like the glass bead game, like the glass bead game is an example of that sort of stuff of like, you know, maybe a li- with a little bit more structure around it, but like how much can we bend perception? Like, and, and mm-hmm. Emily and I would go looking for things that seemingly should not exist. And we find them over and over again. And when we go every single time that confirmation happens, there is, 
you know, there's more trust in the fact that, okay, there's something that's shifting in reality. And like, that's what you're saying again with like, if every day, if we could go and maybe push our perspective a little bit further as to what we're looking at, redefine that story, like how far do we go? I mean, that's, that's the nature of, of like you, you mentioned some of like the Eastern practices, like that's how they used to go and train these, uh, that, that would be a ninja training. This is how you train, you train ninja children to jump so high because ninjas can jump so high. Are you ready to hear this? So when the ninja child is three years old, you give them, you give them a stalk of bamboo to plant. And every day they have to jump over the stalk of bamboo. And the stalk of bamboo, when you first give it to them, might be like six inches high, like something which is, which is like within their physical, within their physical possibility of jumping over and so like every day they got to jump over but bamboo grows very fast and that grows and so they continue to do that their entire life so it's like once once the bamboo is too high for them to jump over well then they go and they plant a new stalk and they're older and like they go through the same practice but the point is like little bit little bit every day like has these amazing results and so like the ninja when they when they're like a full a full-bodied adult they're able to do what is seemingly impossible to someone who hasn't gone through this like minor, minor sort of of training each and every day well, Mike, I feel like this has been another episode of your handbook for the apocalypse. Um, really fun conversation. I know we got to wrap up. It's been almost two hours here, but yeah. What's next, Mike? Obviously you've been posting on Susquehanna Alchemy again. I'm happy to see there's three new videos up within the past two months. Uh, one that you just put out today. We talked a bit about this uh the subject of of this latest video but what's next what's on the horizon um i think i'm i'm doubling down on this this deconstructing time and really introducing uh this idea like i mean you know me with the starboard and natural astrology and the looking at what i'm interested in uh is deconstructing timelines like making false timelines collapse and that sounds like something uh really far out but it isn't like doing these small little steps like the ninja child jumping over the growing bamboo like little steps of beginning to look at time in a different way because our time keeping mechanism is is it's nonsense you know just like like as i was saying about midnight as an example and then taking that as an idea and then putting that into practice but still you know being in this world but not of it uh and that coupled with with teaching natural astrology, particularly through the starboard, so that's that's really what I'm I'm going to be focusing on. Um, more videos on that, working with people one on one and in groups, teaching these concepts. I still do reframing sessions for anyone who wants to be able to to go and ch- and look at their life narrative. You know, the cross reference between experiences, astrology, and so forth. 
from a different lens for the sole purpose of, of, of finding like, uh, new ways, new patterns to get out of the old ways of seeing things. I mean, that's what first needs to be done is to repattern the story, which they've told themselves. Uh, and that happens by having, you know, someone look at their life and be like, Oh, did you notice this, 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 and this. And then because it's, it's, um, accurate observations like it creates the space so i'm still doing that sort of stuff and you know uh, um hopefully by this time next year i have demonstrated that i can um jump off a building and fly and not need to eat you know that's 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 the framework mark (laughs) well folks who want to stay uh in touch with all that and and see the results i'm sure there'll be a youtube video out soon with mike jumping off a picnic table you got to start somewhere um i've got to start somewhere (laughs) well right on thank you mike for joining us here on my family thinks i'm crazy of course folks can tune in to everything you have going on over there at susquehanna alchemy on your youtube channel Hopefully a new episode with Ross Ben uh, from the 40th Parallel, a great show you both do together. And then, of course, our show, Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. You can find all of the audio episodes on the Susquehanna Alchemy RSS feed. Wherever you listen to podcasts, just search Susquehanna Alchemy. And uh, yeah, right on, Mike. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to speak to you and Tara. As usual, yeah, likewise. Thanks for joining us. And everybody who tuned in, thank you so much for being here. Be sure to go support Mike on YouTube. Get yourself a reframing session. Check out the starboards and immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. And that is our conversation with Michael Wan. My girlfriend Tara, of course, joined us for this conversation. And you could look forward to more interviews with her sitting alongside of me as a co-host on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Of course, you could support the show and get all of our bonus content on the Patreon if you prefer reading. We do have bonus content on the Substack in the form of articles written by yours truly uh, as well as the video episodes and some bonus audio episodes which i will be uploading on substack so if you prefer substack over patreon you can support the show there for eight dollars a month and it is really awesome when you pay for the year up front because you get like 10 or 20 percent off so definitely recommend paying for the year up front and uh getting the most for your um for your 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 hard-earned money i know how much the value of a dollar is trust me and if you are above the eight dollar tier on patreon and you do not have access yet to the Substack, just send me a message on patreon and i will send you a 
a free subscription to the paid content on the Substack. That way you can access all of the articles, even if you are uh, already paying me on Patreon, you don't have to double up and pay twice. Just bump up to that $8 tier on Patreon and I will automatically add you to the Substack. You don't have to pay for it either. It's free and you get access again to that bonus content. You might even find out you like Substack better than Patreon, so feel free to change it over. But either way, uh, there's always the third option, Rockfin, which is like Netflix for one price. You get my show and so many others. A lot of folks that you've heard on this podcast have a show uh, that they publish on Rockfin uh, as well as obviously many other places but rockfin is a fun place to go they have a bunch of really cool mma and wrestling content uh you may not know this about me but i was the captain one of four captains of my high school wrestling team so uh, although i don't watch really any wrestling anymore uh, it's cool to be a part of that with rockfin if there's any people that are there on Rockfin for the wrestling content, check out the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast hosted by a former wrestling captain in the 170 pound division. 170. Yes, that's right. 170. So I was a very light, <laughs> very light, uh, tall 170. So, anyways, here we are in the outro of the podcast we just recorded an awesome well i recorded three really awesome podcasts today one with ross ben who michael wan does a podcast with called from the 40th parallel you can find that on youtube on the susquehanna alchemy feed or ross ben 188 on youtube so yeah go and check that out there is a bunch of really great content there and my interview with ross ben should be coming out soon on the patreon so go and sign up to hear that first uh on patreon or substack and uh, rockfin as well the video episode will be up very shortly it's actually exporting right now so yeah very awesome stuff and then roman invited me to join him for another conversation with uh one of these vampire experts i don't know i'm starting to wonder about roman why he's interested in this stuff but uh you know the first the first interview was okay you know dr michael bell probably uh you know wouldn't like being on a conspiracy podcast if he knew it you know just based on what he said i that's the sense i got i could be wrong uh but uh, i hope the microbiotic stuff didn't uh, rub anybody the wrong way you know after the past uh, three or four years we've had some real medical malpractice issues and uh, yeah I don't blame people for being suspicious about the whole virus theory in general so yeah me having him on was in no way a um, sort of what do they say um, the views of Mark Steves do not reflect the views of that guest <laughs> right so yeah, just, you know, I like to bring some interesting, unique perspectives to the show, and we're not going to be able to see eye to eye with everyone on everything, and that's fine. But I will say today's interview with uh, Dr. Browning was very interesting. We didn't get into 
really anything uh, like what we did with Dr. Bell. It was a different take on the vampire subject altogether. So, yeah, look forward to that. Roman, I'm sure, will uh, come up with another weird, crazy interview to invite me along to co-host with. And, you know, we worked good together as co-hosts. He asks a question, I ask a question. It's good. So... Uh, Stay tuned for that. And of course, Esoteric America, where you can hear Tara, myself, Chad, and Roman talking about all these weird, mysterious things that we find in our own backyard here in this Esoteric America. And I do mean North America, so all of our Canadian listeners don't feel separate uh, or left out. You can join us on Esoteric America. We'd love to do a Canada episode, not just the whole country, but any one specific place of interest in Canada and Mexico as well and all the other countries in Central and South America. I'm talking Belize, I'm talking Costa Rica, I'm talking Nicaragua, I'm talking Honduras, Venezuela, Guyana, uh, Brazil, Peru, Chile, Argentina, uh, Paraguay, Uruguay, wherever you are in the americas you could join us on the show i think i got every south american country besides colombia and maybe there's a few others but either way thank you for tuning in if you do listen to the show uh south of uh south of the border i don't know i i, I haven't checked the uh global statistics in a while last time i did check we we're heavy in australia uk and canada as far as countries outside of the u.s go so uh shout out to all our listeners abroad and uh yeah support the show if you can't support us in uh, usd i know patreon takes people from uh, multiple countries besides the united states but i think substack may be even better than um patreon in that regard so if you're an international listener of the show, check out the Substack. The link is in the description. And Rockfin as well should be, but I could be wrong. And if I am wrong, just let me know so I don't go repeating myself here. Uh, but anyways, that's all for today's episode. Be sure to check out my podcast with Michael Wan, our guest today. It's titled Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. You can find it if you search Susquehanna Alchemy wherever you listen to podcasts. That's the feed. You not only get the show that Mike and I do together, but you get the show that Mike and Ross do together. And Mike just uploaded a really cool podcast episode with his uh, partner, Carly, uh, or Christy, sorry, Christy. And they are narrating a book, A Story Waiting to Pierce You. So... Uh, which is a book I have. Mike recommended I buy it. I haven't read it yet, but maybe I'll start by listening to their narration. So uh, anyways, check that out. The links are all up in the description. And of course, Mike regularly posts to YouTube. He does have a Rockfin, so follow him there. I don't think he's posted to Rockfin in a long time, uh, but he he is uh, on YouTube again. So go support him there. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy YouTube. Until next time, folks, thank you so much for being here. And uh, one last thing before we go, I cannot ever, and I have forgotten in one or two outros, I can never forget 
the hit kit go to the hit kit on instagram or hitkit.us check out the hit kit i was just talking to garrett he's got some really cool unique designs cooking and uh what he informed me is that i have a one of a kind well there's only two or three made uh with this hermes trismegistus uh design on it and it's really cool it has a qr code that he's pointing to and when you scan that with your phone it opens up the Cabalion, which is free on some website i'm sure uh, but aka the seven hermetic laws so yeah very very cool thing uh, conversation starter at the very least and a great way to keep your smokable safe and sound at the very best so check out the hit kit make sure you use the promo code crazy and save uh, 15 percent off at checkout and uh, also you let garrett know that his uh sponsorship with the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast is working out that's one way that you can help support the show maybe you have someone in mind you want to buy a hit kit for use the promo code save yourself a few bucks and get a really cool unique gadget handmade in the united states so uh, with that folks thank you for tuning in and immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now